Truth Espresso, Episode 75. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey there, friends. This is Daniel Minnick, the host of Truth Espresso, coming at you with another exciting episode. And this episode is going to be part two of a fictional short story that I have been writing recently as episodes of Truth Espresso. And now the purpose of this fictional story is to teach my final words for a while. I'll still do some episodes on economics, but the final words on a series, a long-drawn series that took most of this year on economic topics, starting with the basics of what is money and what is banking and all the way up through politically charged topics like population control and income inequality. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and demonstrate it through this story. But this is part two of the story, The Tale of the Superblians. And definitely, as I often say, if If you haven't listened to episode X, then I highly recommend that you listen to it before this one. And never before has it been the case that I would highly recommend that you listen to the previous episode, episode 74, because we are telling a story, the tale of the Superblians. And so it would not make much sense for you to listen in on an ongoing story and not get the original plot, especially since the previous episode starts with an alien invasion. And so if you like sci-fi, I highly recommend that you listen to the last episode and hear my pitiful attempt at the very first sci-fi story that I'm writing. Now, this isn't just intended to be a sci-fi story because it's intended to be a little bit goofy, a little bit strange. Yes, all sci-fi stories are goofy and strange, but this is my own contrived idea to try to use a sci-fi story focusing on aliens coming to Earth. Earth to teach economics. Now, it doesn't mean that the aliens themselves are teaching economics, but the story about the aliens coming to Earth teaches economics. And so if this isn't making any sense to you, it's probably because you haven't listened to the previous episode. So if you haven't listened to it, stop the tape right now. Wait, what's tape? No, stop your uh, podcast listening app, your feed reader, your podcatcher, whatever you call it, right this instant, and go back and listen to the previous episode so that you have some groundwork to listen to this one. And by the way, as this episode airs, it's going to be the Monday after Thanksgiving. And so I hope that you had a happy Thanksgiving, despite what it seems the powers that be want to kind of diminish Thanksgiving. And it seems like 
All the experts in government want to be the Grinch that stole Thanksgiving. They want to lock people in their houses and keep people away from their extended families and tell us to keep safe, all because of a virus with a 99.96 or whatever percent around that area uh, percent survival rate and with a large percentage of the population that contracts this thing seems to not express much symptoms. Now, yeah, no doubt there have been people who have suffered substantially with this thing, you know, as any kind of virus inflicts, but particularly with this one, it's just my opinion, my lay opinion, but I think the world has gone bonkers. But that aside, on to the tale of the Superblians. Let's continue our sci-fi story to teach economics, of course. And if you listened to the last episode, you remember that the Superblians landed on Earth. There was a lot of antagonism by humans, but the aliens, the Superblians, kept their cool, presented some exciting new technology that would make plants grow in a matter of a minute, and that that would end world hunger. They had other technologies to introduce to make life on Earth much easier. The Superblians were not a violent race of creatures. They seem to be in every way superior to humanity in height and strength and intellect and in the color of their skin. They were blue skinned. (laughs) And now we pick up our story one year after the events that transpired in the previous episode of the tale of the Superblians. It was a day like any other day. Well, an ordinary day in the life of human and superblian living together in apparent harmony. True to their word, the superblians never try to overthrow any human system of government. No superblian dreamed of running for public office. The superior alien race simply worked hard for their fellow superblian and human neighbor alike. Even many humans gradually adapted to the kind of liberty, personal responsibility, generous voluntary charity, and increasing productivity of the Superblians. The Superblians, according to various tests administered by humans, were on average ten times smarter and ten times stronger than the best human of either of those categories. But what of this ordinary day? The earth had never been blessed materially as it had been any year prior. Better nutrition, better health, more productive work, better leisure, and better living standards appeared to leave no question in the mind of any ordinary human that things were better and just. This strange alien race that seemed to rescue humanity from its looming problems also renewed cultural interest in the God of the Bible, much to the chagrin of atheist humans who try to focus on the finer points of the alien's science and technology. But back to our ordinary day. The major media sources for the past year had been tame toward the friendly invaders, 
Yet the New Dork Times, of course, dared to break course with conventional news reporting. Dr. Paul Drugman, a frequent contributor to the New Dork Times, published a controversial article entitled, Is This Really Prosperity? Now, Drugman had not changed his views within the last year and still had been writing articles for the New Dork Times. His opinions were present, but veiled to those other than his like-minded companions. Drugman closely followed what is called the Keynesian School of Economics. His influence virtually disappeared as the freedom-loving aliens gradually changed the thinking of most people indirectly through how they interacted in the economy and improved the lives of everyone, including the poorest humans in the poorest countries. In his column for the New Dork Times, Drugman asked, Are we setting ourselves up for the biggest fiscal cliff bar none in human history? By all measures of living standards, humans are doing better than they were last year. But professional economists recognize that depressions can happen when we least expect them. We need to look at other factors besides increased living standards to distinguish between a real sustainable economy and a bubble economy. Several trends concern me as an economist that are telltale signs that we could be on the brink of a crash that would make the Great Depression of the 1930s the Great Recession following the real estate bubble of the millennium's first decade and even the COVID-19 pandemic look like Sunday afternoon picnics. One of these is the alarming upward trend in personal and corporate savings. Now, to the untrained economist, this looks like a good thing. More savings means more money to spend, right? But the trained economist recognizes that increased savings is a sign of declining aggregate demand. As more and more people save their extra money because their currency is strengthening, their spending habits will decline. Unless this massive increase in output is coupled with a proportionate increase in consumer spending, the price deflation that we are witnessing now will not happen long before our new living standards start to take their toll on employment. Economists, even in the 20th century, who knew nothing of our level of prosperity, recognized this paradox. A reduced need to spend, coupled with increased savings, would lead to losses in the job market as demand for needed consumer goods decreases. They recognize that overproduction would lead to underconsumption, followed by recession, and then depression. Following this reduced activity, an increased unemployment will be the further perception that we all need to tighten our belts. I can see bankruptcies, foreclosures, and poverty looming on the horizon. We are about to be victims of our own success. We have our welcome visitors to thank for this economic roller coaster. I urge central banks around the world to prepare for the worst. Untold levels of fiscal stimulus may be our only hope to fish us out of the coming economic swamp. Jake read this dire headline as it beamed to his uber cool pocket supercomputer. To Jake, and to many others like him, the economy was obviously much better than it was a year ago. Having been able to pay off his ranch house mortgage by the end of the year was a complete godsend. How could all this prosperity be an illusion? 
The ranch hand knew that Dr. Drugman's brain could outwit him in a new dork minute. Certainly, Dr. Drugman was the professional economist. He had to know something to show for his influence. Went Jake's front door. Jake stumbled to the door and cracked it open. There stood his ranch pal, Pete, as if he had seen something in the field. Why, Pete, something up? The silent co-worker fidgeted for his phone. Retrieving the device from his coat pocket, Pete faced the screen at Jake's face and projected a holographic image an inch from his nose. Jake paced backwards two steps to make out what racked his friend's nerves. Have you read today's breaking article? beamed the wide-eyed companion in the doorway. Yeah, blurted Jake as he felt overcome by Pete's sense of alarm. I, uh, I read it this morning. Pete nodded while maintaining his trance. After about eight seconds of awkward silence, Pete stammered, So, uh, what did you think about it? I don't know, barked Jake as he waved his hands. I don't understand half of what he's saying. Pete scowled and bloated. Don't you know who Dr. Drugman is? I've heard the name, Jake interjected. He writes a lot for the New Dork Times. Does he have you all up in a tizzy? Pete trudged in from the doorway and planted his palms on Jake's shoulders. And he's the smartest economist alive, bellowed the trembling companion. Feeling a bit parental, Jake gently peeled Pete's hands off his shoulders and sighed. So, he insisted, smarts don't make you right. Pete squinted his eyes and retreated a baby step. You do realize, he lectured, that the guy has predicted every time things got bad before they happened. Really? replied the unschooled herdsman as he scratched his chin. Yeah, Jake, he knows his stuff. He can see what we common folk can't. Jake shrugged and plopped his hands on his sides. I don't know, Pete. All I know is things are better this year than last year. I'm out of debt. Isn't that a good thing? The bank got its money back with interest. Isn't that a good thing? My cousin got a surgery to remove a cancerous tumor that would have never been discovered or removable just a year ago. Isn't that a good thing? You have that nifty phone that can project things in the air. Isn't that a good thing? Jake's eager companion paced in a small circle. I know it doesn't make sense, Jake, surrendered Pete as he raised his palms. It doesn't make sense to me either, but Dr. Drugman explains how things that don't make sense to us make perfect sense to him. All I know is he knows his stuff and we don't. Jake strode toward Pete and placed his hands on Pete's shoulders. Pete, buddy, he pleaded, did you come here just to tell me about the article? Pete grinned sheepishly. Well, not quite, Jake. A couple of our buds and I are attending a meeting tonight. You're welcome to join us. I'm almost afraid to ask what it's about, snapped Jake, crossing his arms and slouching. Pete grinned, then announced, Jake, did you notice within the last year a lot of farmers have left the fields? 
Jake replied with a snicker, "'Cause they found something else to do. After the Superblians ended world hunger by taking the work out of farming, they didn't need to farm anymore.' "'Exactly,' sneered Pete as he cupped his hands. "'Isn't that a problem? These aliens are putting farmers out of work.' Raising his index finger, Pete lectured, "'Where's our dignity?' Now, hold on, Pete, replied Jake, palms raised. Let's think this through. Sure, a lot of farmers stop farming. But what is that when food is practically free? Even the ones who haven't found another job are still better off. They're not starving, Pete. Pete chuckled. You don't get it, Jake. I don't think either of us really get it. But Dr. Drugman gets it. And who do you think you are to counter him? He's far smarter than you'll ever be. That's true, snickered Jake. But aren't the Superblians smarter than he is? I'd take a gander they are. A lot smarter. Pete cackled a bit to pondered. That's true, he blurted, waving his index finger. But are any of them economists? They may know how to make newfangled gizmos, but do they understand the big picture? I mean, the really big picture? I doubt it, Jake. The confused rancher rubbed his chin, then interrupted. So, what's the meeting about, Pete? Pete grinned, restoring his composure. We're talking about what farmers should do about our jobs. We might organize a protest. Jake buried his face in his right palm and shook his head. Pete, please, you're my friend. Don't do this. Pete tilted his head with a smile. Jake, he replied with compassion, I know you work for what you believe in. You just need help finding what that is. He turned around and marched for the door. Pete, you're just going to cause trouble. Pete raised a palm to dismiss the comment and continued to stride outside. Pete, shouted a desperate Jake, we didn't protect the seamstresses from the sewing machines. We didn't protect the coal miners from electricity. We adjust, Pete. The world is better for it. We can't be selfish against the good of others, Pete. The idealistic friend continued to ignore Jake's pleas as he faded out of sight. No sooner had Pete disappeared when Jake whipped out his phone and projected a search on Drugman's article in the air in front of him. Pete skipped the immediate glaring coverage of Drugman's article and noticed the fifth result in the list. It was a video created by a certain Robert P. Nerfy. Jake had never heard of Nerfy before, but he decided to watch. This video was a timely response to Drugman's article published earlier that same day. Jake began to watch the video to see what a possible informed response to the popular Paul Drugman article would entail. It's ironic, claimed Robert Nerfy in the video, that Paul Drugman is complaining now. How often he and his leftist think tank companions used to say that the evil capitalists want to throw your grandmother out in the streets. He claims they stand in the way of solutions to things like world hunger just for their own self-interest. But now we see world hunger eliminated. We see health care improved by leaps and bounds. But Drugman's all up in arms because these things weren't solved in the ways he expected. 
If the solution isn't more government to solve the problem, it can't be a sustainable solution in Drugman's mind. It's interesting that Drugman himself called for the threat of a fake alien invasion to stimulate the economy. Yet, we got a real alien invasion that wasn't hostile. We didn't have to expend resources building bunkers and armaments for a big fight on our hands. The aliens came and they were peaceful. They actually stimulated our economy by working with us and giving us new technology to make things more efficient. For all intents and purposes, this is the alien invasion we needed. The apparent need for government control has subsided. The superblians have added to the free market and made it freer and more prosperous. But Drugman doesn't like that. He really thinks our economy can only be sustained with ever more record levels of deficit spending, prolonged Fed fund rates at 0%, and more central planning. He's alarmed that interest rates have steadily climbed over the last year because we're able to afford things like houses and businesses without as much borrowing. But who's suffering? The banks? They don't need a bailout anytime soon because lenders have been able to repay at these higher rates. Borrowers? No, because they're not debt slaves for the rest of their lives. They don't need to give up their retirement savings to make interest payments. Businesses? No, profits have been up through the stratosphere last year. The healthcare industry? There has never been greater demand for new treatments as well as more supply thanks to our superbly and friends. I think the only ones suffering under our new prosperous economy are the bureaucrats whose influence over the economy has waned, and people like Drugman himself because he has had to tone down his language over the past year. I have been a long-time critic of Drugman over the years. I have shown where he contradicts himself within a matter of months. He sets up his predictions so he thinks he wins no matter what the outcome. I encourage you not to take Drugman's column in the New Dork Times seriously. In fact, it's dangerous. If enough people listen to Drugman, who knows if our peaceful relationship with the Superblians could turn into a costly war. We humans couldn't survive that kind of stimulus. Jake gasped as the video ended. For some reason, this Dr. Robert P. Nerfy seemed to make more sense to his uneducated mind. The pompous language from the popular Dr. Paul Drugman seemed counterintuitive. But what would Jake know? He's just a ranch hand whose life seemed to be getting better after aliens invaded. Time to head downtown, muttered a curious Jake as he trotted toward his new truck. It was new, by the way, because Jake could now afford a few months ago to replace his beat-up Chevy. A brand new Chevy pickup that would quickly check his health stats, project traffic estimates with about 99% accuracy for the destination route, and even groom him safely if he needed it. The GPS in the truck notified Jake of anything he wanted to listen to that was related to recent searches. Yes, this does sound a little bit like Google, but it was also guaranteed to be private, encrypted, and not subject to government searches. A pleasant, natural female voice emitted from the omnispatial surround sound microspeakers within the truck. I noticed you watched a video from Dr. Robert P. Nerfy a few minutes ago from your phone. 
There is a live event from Dr. Thomas E. Words in progress at the convention center downtown. Dr. Words is a personal friend of Dr. Nerfy. Would you like to tune in? Ah, uh, sure, replied the curious rancher as he seemed to thirst for more common sense. Since you are headed downtown, added the voice, would you like to attend this event? Jake's eyes bugged. Oh, wow, I didn't even consider that, he muttered under his breath. Yes, he exclaimed. The voice affirmed. Okay, destination set for the convention center. The talk, entitled Drugman Crawls Out of His Shell by Dr. Thomas E. Words, is now in progress. Tuning in. Jake started to feel like a kid in a candy store. I wish Pete were here with me to hear this, he snickered. Just then, the speakers connected to the live broadcast. And that's why I decided to visit you lovely people at the site of that historic moment. A year ago, Drugman was all the rage. Despite being wrong at almost everything for, like, most of his adult life, people still listen to him like he's God's gift to humanity. It's as if heaven itself has a department of economics and has granted us simpletons an angel in Paul Drugman. He's on loan from on high for as long as it takes to learn glaringly obvious economic truths. Remember common core math? Well, here's the new math we are supposed to learn, or rather recover, from our quaint times before our evil capitalist friends arrived. <laughs> Mathematical truths like debt makes you richer. <laughs> and if we all get into debt together, money will magically rain from the sky. <laughs> we just have to be patient, okay? It takes a little time for the supposed paradox of savings to shower us with economic karma. Yes, citizen, do your due diligence. Stop that wretched saving. You're killing us all. Jake chuckled and sighed. Who is this guy? Some kind of comedian? The streaming voice of Tom Words continued to bedazzle his audience and Jake in his truck. Drugman's worried that savings are up to levels we have never seen in recorded history. What Paul Drugman doesn't understand, or pretends not to understand, is that savings are just deferred spending. But savings are a little bit more than that. When you save money, you are planning to spend some or all of it in the future. Keep in mind that word, planning. You are giving some careful thought for how those dollars are used. You want them to be as efficient as possible. And even when we save to splurge later, such as for a fun vacation, we budget that out. But the word budget is like a garlic necklace and a crucifix in the face of Dracula to Paul Drugman. <laughs> Remember, even our so-called government claims to have a budget. And every year, it's like Armageddon on Capitol Hill over raising the debt ceiling. <laughs> every year, it's the same old song and dance. And every year, the government spends far more than it takes in taxes. 
why don't we just get rid of the phony budget and save ourselves that annual freak show? But Drugman thinks that neither we nor the government should have a budget. Spending is what drives the economy in the wonderful world of Paul Drugman. Not careful planned spending by the unwashed masses, mind you. Because, citizen, we tend to think differently from our betters in academia. Some of us think it's better to spend less than we earn. How about that foolishness? You know, as much as it helps the credit card company's bottom line when we run up the plastic and pay the highway robbery interest payments, they're not better off if we can't pay back our debts. What good are some interest payments when too many of their credit users have to file bankruptcy? Now, if you can't read between the lines of Drugman's column in the New Dork Times today, he argues from what is commonly called the paradox of thrift, or the paradox of savings. The idea is that when we save, we think we're helping ourselves. Because, I mean, come on, aren't we better off when we save? You know, a penny saved is a penny earned, the saying goes. Well, to Keynesian economists like Paul Drugman, that is pure, unadulterated evil. (laughs) You see, according to people like Drugman, when you save too much money, you're starving other people. Because your spending results in other people's paychecks. Now, there's certainly some truth to that. I mean, the grocery store down the street can't pay its employees' salaries if it doesn't sell products. It can't sell products if people like us don't buy them. So, when we buy things, we are ultimately paying the salaries of the stock clerks and the grocery baggers and whatnot. Okay, so there is some truth to that claim. But here is where the theory goes wrong. It turns out it's not actually a paradox, as Drugman and company would have you to believe. It gets the cart before the horse. Although spending results in someone's income, what ultimately has to come first? Spending or income? Well, income, right? I mean, you can't spend what you don't first have. You can't spend until you've earned. You can't use gold that you haven't first mined, etc., etc. Here's an example of how the so-called paradox of savings breaks down. Let's say you get into the habit of buying a box of candy bars every week from your local grocer. So every week, without fail, you buy those candy bars and this money becomes part of the revenue for the store. Are you still with me? The store budgets from its revenue the salaries of the workers such as that cashier who checks out your candy bars at the counter. Still following me? Okay, now consider that this nasty little habit starts to take a toll on your health. Your doctor tells you that you need to cut your sugar intake for your own good. What's the first thing to go, you might ask? You guessed it, the candy bars. So, what do you do? For your own good. You stop buying that weekly box of candy bars. Well, what does this mean in the short term? 
on its face, it means the store is short those candy bar sales. (gasps) Well, that might cost someone his job, Tom. Where's your heart, Tom, you evil capitalist? (laughs) Now, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Back up the truck a bit. Sure, there might be a dip in revenue for the store as you shave off that candy addiction. But who's to say you're now going to bury that former candy money six feet under and let it rot into fertilizer? Or whatever happens to money stuck in the dirt. No, you might eventually have other uses for that money. For instance, you might take that same money and spend it at that same store and buy some health food. Ooh, that would be bad. And what about the candy bars? Well, maybe some other people would buy them because there are more for others now. Now, as you start to work on your health, maybe you spend some money on a gym membership. You know, those memberships that people brag about but don't really use. So, now you have taken your newfound savings and spent them later elsewhere into the economy. But what if you didn't? Well, those savings are still available for spending in the future. They could be used to invest in a business, as much as some weekly candy bar money could count for an investment. But really, there is no law of physics that says that money you choose not to spend evaporates into the ether. You could even start putting those extra dollars per week into a savings account. (gasps) (sighs) And what could the bank do with that money? Well, they could loan it out to a business trying to create something even more productive for the economy. For some reason, I have images in my head of Dick Van Dyke dressed as that old bank president. You know, the boys' tuppence will rule the world and all. But back to Paul Drugman. If we must. And the paradox of savings. If this so-called paradox were actually a true paradox, as Drugman thinks, if it were true... It means any time we take on certain spending habits, we need to sign on the dotted line and commit to doing them for the rest of our lives. (laughs) Why, it's our duty to engage in indiscretion. It's for the good of the economy. I'm not saying Drugman wants everyone to be addicted to candy bars. He, like all his Keynesian cohorts, miss what French economist Frederick Bastiat called the seen versus the unseen. This was over a hundred years ago, back when there were actually good French economists.
What is seen is buying the candy bars. What is unseen is what you would or could use that money for instead of the candy bars. And all the professional economists who write for the New Dork Times get this wrong. They're so smart that they can reason entirely from what they can see with their own two eyes. They're not like us rubes who like to think about savings and alternate uses of money. You know, the unseen. But I'm here to tell you, don't believe the lies. What Drugman is suggesting in today's article is not only wrong, it's downright dangerous. He was wrong about the housing bubble, he was wrong about the lockdowns and welfare stimulus during that virus pandemic, and he's wrong about our extraterrestrial prosperity. Drugman thought everything was good when the Austrian economists correctly saw and predicted that we were in an unsustainable boom that would inevitably bust. Now, when all the signs point to real prosperity, you know, increased savings, decreased debt, better health, much better wealth, even for the poorest among us, Paul Drugman thinks a crash is coming. Don't believe it. The Superblians have shown the world that freedom works. They're smarter than we are in the best way possible. They know how prosperity happens. They've lived it. They've shown that cooperation improves all our lives. As they compare to us, they reveal that our coercion and violence only enrich some while impoverishing others. Our economy as a whole gets poorer. And that's all central planning is, the ideas of a few imposed on everyone else through coercion and violence. And an economy run on Drugman's Keynesian ideas can only result in poverty and violence. The think tanks and the bureaucrats think central planning works. They've got egg all over their faces, and they don't like it. And they're going to fight tooth and nail to get their influence back. Don't let them. Stand with me and fight the lies. Wow, blurted Jake. I have never heard anything like this. This guy is funny, charming, and powerful. Immediately, reality hit as the voice from the truck interrupted. You are arriving at the convention center. I'm sorry you missed the speech in person. Perhaps you could still talk to the attendees there. The rancher began to ponder what he had heard. There were two strong ideas he learned that day. What was his friend Pete going to do? What would he think of the information from Dr. Nerfy and Dr. Words? And, most importantly, he was a simple-minded, church-going guy from the country. Things were about to change. Ideas were flying. What would his pastor think? Especially since a young Superblian couple have been faithfully attending services there for a couple of months. Now, what does the Bible say about all this complex economic stuff? Was Dr. Drugman and his friend Pete right, or were Dr. Nerfy and Dr. Words right? Because surely there must be a moral to this story that we can glean. Perhaps we can evaluate these ideas with some passages from the Bible. 
What does the Bible say about the efficacy of top-down central planning, how productivity happens, and how savings now leads to planned spending later? Proverbs 6 and verses 6 through 11 says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which, having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. So we see from these verses in Proverbs that the ant is an example of how humans should treat the economy. We don't need an overseer to work and provide for our families. We also don't need an overseer for the common sense that we are to work and save when that makes sense to plan for the future when we might need to spend in an efficient and planned fashion. We must save first before we can spend. But yet, Dr. Drugman, in this story, believes that more and more people saving money due to increased prosperity would ultimately lead to a spiraling down of the economy into a depression, because he thinks that spending, just spending, is what makes things go round, rather than the source of spending, which is savings. When people can save from their labors and plan spending or investment, things can be a little more careful. And Dr. Tom Words showed the example of someone who established a habit of buying candy bars from a store. And the paradox of savings would mean that this person must continue this habit because he's now ultimately paying the salaries of workers in the stores. But Dr. Words pointed out that the so-called paradox of savings is not truly a paradox because of what is seen and what is unseen. And professional economists like to focus only on what is seen, the actual spending on candy bars, and they think that if you were to stop that habit of buying that box of candy bars every week, what you're doing is cutting off the salaries of workers in the store, that you're robbing them of their income. But you're the one who decides to engage in that habit with your earnings, and if you decide to pull that back, you now have more money to spend elsewhere, preferably in something that's better for you and better for the economy. Now, what would God say to governments and bureaucrats who do not respect a free economy, who pillage the honest labor of the citizenry and refuse to model their laws from the simple law of God, such as expressed in the Ten Commandments? You know, laws such as, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, and thou shalt not covet. Well, let's look at Amos 3.10. For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. 
So God doesn't look favorably upon central planning and upon governments who think that they need to drive the economy by manipulating people, by transferring wealth, by robbing people, and the only way to rob people is to store up violence. And lastly, how do we grow an economy and help our neighbor? Is it by spending and debt, thinking economic karma will somehow eventually return favor to us in the aggregate demand? Is it by letting designated experts steal from some to give to others in need? Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. And so charity comes from the people who work. They work, they save, and from those savings, that's how you give to charity. Not by theft from some designated experts in some institution called the state. But those who actually produce should have the say in how they give to charity. And those who produce are closer to the needs of those to whom they give. A third party like a government taking by force is not close enough to the charity and not guaranteed to be efficient since they didn't earn the money that they give to charity. So charity is best when it is done freely by a free market, by people working and giving to charity. So, things are really starting to get interesting in the tale of the Superblians. As Jake has now come to the convention center where Dr. Thomas E. Words has just given a riveting speech, we'll see what happens to Jake as he enters late. And what's going to happen that evening? And what's going to happen in the following days or weeks or months? Well... This brings us to the end of part two. There is just too much to tell, so we are now going to have a part three, where things will get really crazy. Stay tuned to the next episode of Truth Spresso as we conclude the tale of the Superblians. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 